You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you've been streaming up a storm, crossing off achievements like a boss. You've been killing it. I am loving this set, man. It's uh, it's feeling really like a glove that fits well. I don't know. I have no good analogies for how I'm enjoying this format, but I uh, I have been having fun streaming and having fun winning and having fun crossing off some achievements. I gotta gotta get that first slot in the 15 hour stream when we do it. I know. I'm feeling pressure. You've already got <laughs> what two done? Which one? You got Mister Self Replicator and what was the other one? A milli, a milli, a milli. I milled out my opponent. I almost trophied with my mill deck. It made me so sad not to. But Caleb, at the same, I think at the same time, was was streaming and drafted a mill deck, and he managed to to get the trophy with his mill deck. So there's proof out there that it can happen, and I believe that that deck is real. We'll talk about it a little later in the episode. How's how's your week been? It's been good. I think that deck is super real as well. I keep, I've had a couple chances to maybe get into it if some Homerod Explorers wheel. That's the three three and a blue for the three three that mills for, uh, and they just didn't wheel. So I'm just waiting for my opportunity to move into that deck. But yeah, I've also been uh, drafting up a storm and winning a lot more frequently lately, which is good. I feel like the format's starting to turn around for me. Well, let's check in on that trophy leaderboard. How's things going for you? I've done 21 drafts, have six trophies, a 34 and 25 record and a 58% overall win rate. And in my last 10 drafts, I have a 76% win rate with five trophies. So really feel like I'm starting to find my stride. Ooh, nice. I managed to avoid the week two dip. Knock on wood. Maybe it's going to come in week three, but I've got 45 drafts under my belt with 14 trophies, a 90 and 41 win-loss record for a 69% win rate. Yeah, you are killing it. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, I still did dip a little bit from last week, but still above my usual 67%. Yeah, so we'll try and illuminate maybe some of the things that have been working for me in the episode later today as we talk about some archetypes that are perhaps non-intuitive in Dominaria Limited. But before we get into that, we want to talk about our patrons. That's right, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. We like to give you a lot of sweet perks. The show will always be free, but if you choose to give back to the show, we want to give back to you as well. You get access to the Discord. That's the base level. That's what the people want. They want to get in. They want to be able to share their deck lists, their draft logs, their what's the plays. We even got just an off-topic category. We've got places for people to talk about their sweet G competitors one of our discord chatters kaz made day two of the gp this weekend we're recording saturday night so we don't know how he does but you will by the time this comes out and he defeated who was it sam party sam party on coverage that is just straight gasoline um so you get access to the like-minded addicted drafters hive mind in our discord chat you also get access to our show notes get access to a pre-show recording for some higher tier donations and we're also looking for more ways to give back to our patrons so if you have any ideas please let us know but we also want to make sure that we shout you out when you join the fray so we have a number of people to welcome this week greg Jather, Emiliano, Leslie, Brian, David, Lewis, Tyler, Brendan, and Phil. Thank you all so much. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we have a huge milestone for the podcast this week as well. We have cracked 100 patrons, so it feels Woo-hoo! awesome that like you guys like what we're doing and are supporting the show. We cannot say thank you enough, and Discord is just, it's fantastic. Can I do an air horn? You can. Pew, 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 pew. That's that's how we're gonna celebrate. It's so good. Okay, so, love it. So we, we want to talk about maybe some non-intuitive archetypes for the format, and I think one of the ways that we want to look at how we're evaluating cards, how we're navigating what people are still considering a pretty difficult draft terrain, is to look at a few roundtables. Ben, you've selected some drafts for us to look at today. Yeah, let me walk you through the first one. So, following options: pack one, pick one. You see Weight of Memory, three blue-blue for the sorcery. Draw three cards. Target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. Sheevan Fire, single red for the instant. Deals two damage to target creature and has Kicker four. If you kick it, it deals four damage instead. There's a Rona, Disciple of Gix, one blue-black for the 2-2 Human Artificer, legendary creature. And when Rona enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard. You can cast non-land cards exiled with Rona. And you can pay for tap to exile the top card of your library. So super slow, clunky value engine there. And there's also Llanowar Elves, single green for the 1-1. Tap to add green to your mana pool. 
best common in the format. <laughs> and there's also Banalish Marshall, triple white for the 3-3 human knight that gives other creatures you control plus one, plus one. You've got a really strong first pack here. I mean, there's viable cards in every color. Your rare is, I think, pretty strong. And if this was maybe a week ago, I would probably have slammed Banalish Marshall here and been looking to be white and be pretty easily moved off of it because it is a very heavily color-required card. But I think it's powerful enough to first pick. But lately, I've been pretty down on white in general, and we'll talk about why a little later. And I think it's widely considered that red is a weak color. So while Shivan Fire is the best common in red, I don't think I want to first pick it if I can avoid doing so. Um, I'm looking to be put into red through more powerful cards at the uncommon and rare level. So that leaves me with Llanowar Elves, Weight of Memory, and Rona, Disciple of Gix. And I think between all of those, I would lay, lean Llanowar Elves. I mean, uh, it's just one of the best things you can do early on in any game in this format. And while I do like the the clunky card draw blue spell and the blue-black value engine, I think I'm just going to go with the clean Elves here. I agree with everything you said. I also nab the Elves. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's an Eviscerate, three and a black, destroy target creature. There's a Fiery Intervention, four and a red, deals five damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. There's a Grow from the Ashes, two and a green for the sorcery, search your library for a basic land card, put it into play untapped, and if you kick it, you get two lands, that kicker cost is two. There's also a Naban, Dean of Iteration, one in a blue for the 2-1 Wizard Legend. If a wizard entering the battlefield under your control causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And I think that's about it. Yeah, I think so too. I really like Naban. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with or against him, but uh, he's very strong in wizard synergy decks, being able to double trigger an Academy Journey Mage to bounce something twice or double trigger a Gitu Chronicler that's been kicked to grab two spells out of your yard. I mean, the card is very powerful. I have not played with her against it yet, but I can imagine that it would be. Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, and just the floor is so high, I guess, as just like a two mana two one is fine. It's not ideal, obviously, but but you don't need a lot of synergies in your deck to really make it worth it, I think. That said, it doesn't pair very well with Llanowar Elves. Um, The card that I guess pairs best with Llanowar Elves is Grow from the Ashes, but I think that's significantly worse, maybe not significantly worse, but certainly worse than the probably best common in the set in Eviscerate, and I think I would grab that here. Yeah, that was my thought process as well. Eviscerate, just being able to deal with whatever your opponent throws at you, and there are a lot of bombs that your opponents are going to throw at you, is a premium thing to be able to do, and I think you need to nab it here. Let's ask a question that I don't think we've asked yet about this format. Maybe we, maybe we did like a couple weeks ago. Do you think this is a Prince or a Pauper format? Uh, it's definitely a Prince format. I think we talked about that at, after the sealed pre-release thing a little bit. Yeah. But I think in draft, it feels like it is as well. Uh, It feels like, you know, I was looking through Discord in preparation for the show, and I was looking at trophy decks, and almost every single trophy deck had at least, like, one to three cards that would be classified as, like, stone-cold bombs, like, either Mythic Uncommons or very, very good rares, Mythic Rares. And I've been struggling to win when I don't get really good Uncommons or Rares. Yeah, I agree. And I think... It's not always great to just have the answers for those. Like, you also want to be able to pose those as threats, but having the answers is important, and Eviscerate is one of the best ways to answer bombs. Yep, agreed. Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. There's Adelie's the Cinderwind, one blue-red for a 2-2 human wizard, flying haste when you cast an instant or sorcery spell. Wizards you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. There's also Baloth Gorger, two green green for the 4-4 with kicker four, and if you kick it, it turns into a 7-7. And there's also Blessed Light, four and a white for the instant exile target creature or enchantment. So I've got Elves, and then I've got Eviscerate. I think I'm just going to follow up with Baloth Gorger. I mean, I think that's one of the strongest starts you can have in the format, is Elves on one and Gorger on three. So I'd be pretty happy there. I'm kind of down on Blessed Light. Again, I'm kind of down on white, and I'm down on expensive spells that cost five or more when, you know, they're not, like, incredibly unique effects. Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to grab Gorger here and, and move on. That was what I did as well, but I was really debating taking Adelie's here. I think that card's great, and I felt like maybe if I was seeing it third, it was a signal. What about that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a good card, but it doesn't seem like it's worth abandoning. You have two of the best commons already under your belt in green and black. It feels like it's bad to abandon that for a card that is strong, but like 
How much better is Adele than Baloth Gorger? Better, but not that much, I don't think. That's that's eventually where I ended up too. But I was I was having doubts. All right, yeah, we had some interesting choices there. Certainly a different avenue where you could have gone Shiv and Fire into Naban into Adele and had like maybe a sweet blue red wizard start, but I had no problem with the the green black life that we were starting to live in that draft. Um so you got another one here that I want to walk you through and hear your thought process on. You ready to take a seat? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so pack one, pick one, you see the following options. There's a Vicious Offering, one and a black for the instant. Target creature gets neg two, neg two until end of turn, and it has a kicker cost of sack a creature, and if you pay the kicker, that creature gets neg five, neg five until end of turn instead. There's Time of Ice, this is three and a blue for the Enchantment Saga. The first two chapters, tap down a creature and keep it tapped until Time of Ice leaves the battlefield, and then the third chapter uh, returns all tapped creatures to their owner's hands. Just pro tip, don't tap a mana dork in response to this trigger to, like, maybe cast something. Don't do that, because then you're going to bounce your own mana dork. I'm just, like, trying to let you learn from my experiences here. Um, <laughs> can we... Time out. Can we, can we call those pleb tips instead of pro tips? Like, from our misplays. <laughs> pleb tips. Those are so good. Oh, my God. Uh, pleb tips. That's funny. Uh, and your rare is Zahid, Jinn of the Lamp, for blue-blue, for the 5-6 Jinn with flying, but you can pay 3 and a blue and tap an untapped artifact you control instead of paying its mana cost. Yeah, so some really strong cards there in Time of Ice, Vicious Offering, and Zahid. I think Zahid just edges everything out. 6-mana 5-6 flyer is huge, going to outclass almost everything in the format, and occasionally you'll have some artifacts and you'll be able to play it on turn 4, in which case it's just absolutely bonkers. So I think this is a pretty clear Zahid. Yeah, I really like Zahid, and I think, especially taking it this early, like, there's already a number of, like, tiny artifacts that you can grab at the common level that are, you know, maybe subpar, but not embarrassing to put in your deck. Like, Blood Tallow Candle, the one-mana artifact that you can pay six to neg five, neg five a creature, or Voltaic Servant, the one, three for two. There's just enough things that I think paying this for four is going to happen a lot when you first pick it, and that is nearly unbeatable. I mean, you need an Eviscerate, basically. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following options. Academy Journey Mage, four and a blue for the 3-2 Human Wizard. Uh, when it ETBs, you bounce a creature your opponent controls. And if you control another wizard, it costs one less to cast. There's another Llanowar Elves. There's a Memorial to Folly. That's the black tapped land that you can pay two and a black to tap and sacrifice it to raise dead a creature. And there's Spore Crown Thalid, one and a green for the 2-2 Fungus that gives each other creature you control that's a Fungus or Sapperling plus one, plus one. Yeah, this was a super tough choice for me, so I pretty quickly narrowed it down to Journey Mage, Elves, and Spore Crown Thalid. Journey Mage stays on plan with the Zahid, but I think it's worse than both of the other cards. So I was looking to move into green here, and then I was trying to decide between Thalid and Elves, and I, I was really struggling because I think Elves pairs better with Zahid just as like a blue-green deck that wants to ramp, uh, and Spore Crown Thalid feels at home in a black-green deck. But I was trying to decide if Spore Crown Thalid was a reason to just move into green. Like, is it better than Llanowar Elves? And ultimately, I settled on yes. I don't know if that was right or not, but I, I did take the Spore Crown Thalid here over the Llanowar Elves. I don't have enough experience with Spore Crown Thalid to say yes or no. So I guess here's a question. What if it was Spore Crown Thalid versus Elfheim Druid? That's the one in a green O2 that taps for a green and then taps for double green for kicker spells. I think that would be a clear Elfheim Druid for me. Yeah, I think that's a clear Elfheim Druid for me as well. I think that probably means it should be Llanowar Elves. That's kind of what I'm thinking as well. I think Sporkron Thalad is only good if you have enough Sapperling synergy to go with it. I mean, if you have two other cards that make Sapperlings, sometimes you're going to be doing it, but not a lot. And Llanowar Elves is always going to be good in every green deck, right? Yeah, I was thinking like... There's so one of the themes or one of the things I feel like we've identified in this format is just like there aren't good two drops and Spore Crown Thalid is is a good two drop. I mean, it's a bear with upside with significant upside. It's like, you know, it's a lord for one of the best decks in the format, the black green Sapperlings deck. And even if you're not black green, there's enough cards in green like Sapperling Migration or Yavamaya Sapherd or Spore Swarm. Like there's enough things that make one ones or are funguses themselves that Sporkrown Thalad might just do enough even if you just play a Sapherd on turn three or whatever. But I think even that makes it still worse than Elves. Like, Elves is just going to always do its thing and always be super strong. Yes, I agree. And one of the other things, I think, is if you're not hard on Sapperlings, 
Spork Crown Thalad is just ultimately a two mana two two that's making your other cards better. And mm -hmm. is that worth a slot? I don't know. Two mana two two does not do much in this format. It doesn't. I think one of the things that is like a, a plus in the Spork Crown Thalad category is that it does sort of feel like a lightning rod for removal for better or worse like the worse it is in your deck the better that is for you but like <laughs> i often feel like when i see that on the other side of the battlefield i have to kill it yeah that makes sense just because like even if i don't even if there's nothing on the board that represents saplings or fungi that like i just been like this feels like if it's in their deck it's going to do more than just be a bear but yeah i feel feel like that probably means that elves is the pick for me okay uh i took spork around thalad and i think in hindsight i might i might have wanted to grab elves there Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. Sheevan Fire, the single red deal two with Kicker. Settle the score, two black black for the sorcery. Exile target creature, put two loyalty counters on a planeswalker you control. Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the one three flyer. When it attacks, another target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. And there's also Halar the Fire Fletcher, one red green for the three three trample legend. And if you cast a spell that was kicked, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on Halar and he deals damage equal to the number of counters on him to your opponent. And there's also Syncopate, blue X counter target spell, unless its controller paid X if that spell was countered, exile it instead of putting it into the graveyard. It's still early. We're just taking the best card here, right? I think so, yeah. So it's just settle the score. I agree, and that's what I selected there. That's really interesting. The the elves versus Sporkon Thalad, we were going over these uh, drafts before we recorded, and I think even then I was like, oh, I'd take Sporkon Thalad. But just talking through it just now, I think uh, I realized just how powerful Landwar Elves is. I mean, just look how jacked he is in that art. Just so strong. So jacked. Yeah. All right. So we got to do our little like GP recap last week. We talked about our initial thoughts. We've now been drafting for another full week. And I feel like some things are starting to solidify for me, at least about how the format is now. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm feeling that as well. I'm still I've still O2'd a couple times recently, and I'm trying to figure out how to avoid those. But I feel like I know what decks that win look like. So I'm going to start off with spewing some of my thoughts. And then, Ben, I want you to chime in with your thoughts or and questions as we go through. OK, yeah, let's do it. OK, so I think the two most powerful decks in this format, if they come together are Black Green Sapperlings and Blue Red Wizards. These decks seem fairly straightforward looking. Uh, if you look at the cards in Dominaria, they're tribal to an extent. They have clear synergies and they make sense. Um, maybe Blue Red Wizards a little less so. I think that that deck is a little bit more... It can be aggressive, it can be mid-range, it can grind games out, depending on what uncommons and rares you're, you're building that deck around. Black Green Sapperlings is pretty clearly just trying to grind the game to a, a halt and just overwhelm your opponent with 1-1s and synergizing them with the number of sacrifice outlets that exist for the Sapperlings. That leads me with, well, what do other color pairs look like and what are the stronger options at our disposal in this format. And so what I wanted to do to start with that is to look at the colors in general. So that leads me to wanting to talk about the color rankings in a way and look at what each color is trying to do and figure out how that matches up with what the other colors in the format are trying to do and see if we can get a picture of the best synergies or best archetypes. I think blue is the best color in the format. I think this is the case for two reasons. One, it has a very deep roster of commons. Maybe not all like the strongest. Like I don't think we'll talk about our like top commons overall. And one of them makes that list. You know, there's no clean removal. Deep freeze isn't the most exciting removal spell, but it just has a lot of playable cards. It has a deep roster. And I think it pairs well with every other color. I think Blue X, being blue-white, blue-black, blue-red, and blue-green, are all pretty good decks. And blue-red, I think, is one of the best decks in the format. And I think blue-white, in my opinion, is the best white deck in the format. That's interesting. So I've got, I've got some questions for you about blue-red, because I've not been having a ton of success with that deck. Okay. What do your good blue-red decks look like? Okay, so I think the good blue-red decks depend on what uncommons and rares you have. So, like, if you have Naban the the two one that doubles ETB effects of wizards, that's probably going to look a little more grindy, I think. Um, and you're going to look to value people out with like double ETBs with the bounce journey mage or rebuying spells with get to chronicler or dealing four with the pizza mage, though the pizza mage is a little meh. 
You can also be a bit more spell-based if you have Adele, and you can be a bit more aggressive and have the one-drops, the the lava runners, I think is what they are, the one-mana one-twos that become two-twos when you have two spells in your yard. Are you ever playing that in your deck, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm playing that with like some of the one mana cantrips, either opt or that the I don't know what that's called, the like warriors honor or whatever the single red creatures you control get first strike draw card. Yeah, I mean opt triggering Adele to give all your wizards plus one plus one, and then the lava runners being one mana two twos. Like that is how you leverage Academy Journey Mage, in my opinion. I like if you're not if you don't have a board presence leading up to casting Journey Mage, I don't know why that card is so exciting for everybody. It's not. That's why I'm. That's why I, but that makes sense to me. I guess I think if you're talking about the one mana two two, but that card feels so underwhelming compared to the other things you can do in the format. For sure, but I think the synergies that exist. I mean, we haven't even talked about the flame tongue wizard, the fire fist adept, the four and a red three three that ETBs and deals X damage to a creature where X is the number of wizards you control. Like that's another effect you want to rebuy. You have all these ETB effects. You can use blink of an eye to rebuy those creatures or bounce your own opponent's creatures. Like you just have a lot of options for tempo, and you take advantage of cards that other decks can't take advantage of. That's been my experience with the deck. So I've drafted Wizards a couple times to poor success, and my decks have had the Pizza Mage. What's the name of that card? The two two in a red for the three two. Get two Journey Mage. Get two Journey Mage. That it's called the Pizza Mage because he looks like he's holding out a brick oven pizza there uh, <laughs> in the art. That card has like woefully underperformed in my Wizards decks. And then the other thing, the other weakness I found in my Wizards decks is if I don't close the game out early. My removal in interaction is all cards like Sheevan Fire and Wizard's Lightning and Fiery Intervention, maybe that deals five, but it's all damage based. Mm-hmm. And if the opponent, if I don't win in a hurry, I just get brick walled and my removal can't answer what my opponent's doing. And I just lose to random like Partic Wanderers, like the six mana five, five trample. That's been like my issue playing Wizard's decks. And then it feels like it doesn't also have evasion other than Adelie's. Like all the rest of your cards that are wizards are like ground dorks that are like three twos and two twos and things like that. Well, one of the things that I think this deck takes advantage of is journey mage the academy journey mage the bounce wizard costing four so then your five drop slot is freed up to still play cloud reader sphinx but yeah i hear what you're saying i think you know then you want i i've not been mad playing the wizard's counterspell in wizard's decks being able to hold that up or being able to blink of an eye something and then hold up that so, like, I'm not relying on Syncopate as a conditional counterspell. I'm relying on the actual hard counterspell. What is it? Wizard's Retort. That's what it is. But, yeah, I, th- I think there the reason that I say, like, it can be one of the most powerful decks is because I think a lot of pieces have to come together for it to be good. But if it does come together, it's, I think, like, if you told me what's the, like, you can have the best version of any deck, I would want the best version of the Wizard's deck or the Sapperlings deck sitting down to draft. Yeah, I think... For me right now, I would choose Sapperlings, not particularly close. But I think also like cards that you've been naming that I've been missing in those Wizards decks that have struggled were Cloud Reader Sphinxes and Blink of an Eye, and really trying to maybe... I think the, the Pizza Mage has really underperformed for me, so figuring out ways to leverage tempo like in a more aggressive-based version of it. Yeah, I mean, a 3-mana three 3-2 three, in this format is miserable. That I feel very strongly about so you have to be like looking to leverage that two mana or that two damage etb effect pretty well like you have to want that and then be okay trading that off with another two two or something that your opponent has but yeah i I hear what you're saying about that card for sure so how does wizards beat mammoth spider because it feels like i just can never beat that card when i'm playing wizards I mean, fiery intervention, blink of an eye, counterspell, bouncing yeah. with journey, journey mage. Like, you know, you, you gotta be, it's gotta be, it's a little tempo-y. Like, it's hard to win when the game grinds to a halt unless you've got get two chroniclers to, like, loop spells back, basically, and close out with some damage, like wizard's lightning. But yeah, there you have the tools. There are there are tools in that color pair to beat Mammoth Spider for sure. And that's a, that's another question. So it feels like you want to be aggressive and tempo oriented, but the best two drops are Vidalian Arcanist and the one in a red dude with Kicker that brings back spells. And those aren't aggressive cards. So there's like an awkward tension there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what that's a, one of the reasons that I think it is. I mean, Arcanist is great because then you get to, you know, cast your divinations or your weight of memories to refill your hand or cast fire intervention cheaper. But I think that that is one of the reasons the deck is a little bit dependent on rares or uncommons. Like, I'm not getting into that deck unless I get past a Nabon, unless I get past an Adele, you know? Like, I'm not looking to go into that deck, but if that deck is presented to me, I'm going to move in because of some strong rares or uncommons. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me, because I think I've just had maybe some underpowered Wizards decks that were, like, based around commons and uncommons, and maybe just didn't have enough punch. Yeah, I think basically those, like, I mean, well, I think it'll those decks look a lot like the red-black deck that we're going to outline a little later, where if you don't have the strong cards, you really have to rely on the value engines of the commons, like the ways you can just, like, recur spells from your graveyard and get two-for-ones that way, because otherwise these bombs are going to run you over. Like you're going to have to exhaust some number of resources to deal with your opponent's bombs. And if you can't recoup those losses with two for ones like divination or whatever, then you're going to fall behind. Makes sense. So I sort of derailed us there. We were talking about what the colors offer. Uh, So we were saying that blue pairs well with all the other colors. Black, I think offers a lot of strong removal. It's got eviscerate the three and a black destroyed target creature. It's got vicious offering the one and a black neg two, neg two with kicker for neg five, neg five. If you sack a creature, um, it's got some rock-solid creatures at common, and it pairs really well with green for black-green sapperlings, which is one of the best decks in the format. That uh, combines well with red for that looping creature sacrifice value deck, and it also combines well with blue for like a very good blue-black historic control-type deck. And white-black, I think, is a deck that has been pretty good, but sometimes is just a good stuff deck, like where you have dudes in removal, and if you don't draw your dudes in removal in the correct order, sometimes it's tough to win. And it sometimes it feels like it's more just an aggro deck. Sometimes there's a, a historic synergy there with legendary creatures, and I think the better version of the deck, obviously, is if you have the busted legendary creatures, but I think that one's still not quite clear uh, what good white-black decks look like. Yeah, that's one that I'm wondering if you have a better handle on than I do because I've had decks that I've looked at and been like this looks good like white and black have are two of the deepest colors in the format I think they both offer a lot of good removal at common and then I just lose I don't know (laughs) like I just like have a deck that I'm like I have removal I have card advantage I have flyers right this should be good and then I I don't win I think maybe it's lacking synergy. I think synergy, like if you get decks that are synergistic and have like rares and uncommons that are synergistic, I think that's the best things you can do in the format. And sometimes that's tough in white black, especially because a lot of the legendary creatures like Kavende or whatever tend to get snapped up. So you're not really getting paid off for your Arvad the Curse then like the white black gold uncommon. Mm -hmm. I think that's another deck that really wants high power level of cards. And if you don't have super high power level of cards, you might struggle a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Green, I think, is the next color in my like color power rankings. I think it offers the most explosive starts to the format. Obviously, with Llanowar Elves, with Elfheim Druid, that's the one in a green O2, the taps for green, or taps for double green for kicker, and Grove from the Ashes offers the only non-skittering surveyor fixing in the format. As we said, it pairs with black for the strong Sapperling deck. It pairs with blue for a pretty classic ramp card draw deck uh it can take advantage of kicker synergies in red green which i think is a deck that that can do work and i have had success with green white is a deck that i think both of us are kind of off i think it's not very good unless you get some pretty strong rares like shalai which is the three and a white three four flyer legendary creature that gives you and all of your other creatures hexproof, and then it has four green green to put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control i mean that card is an insane bomb and a reason and to have plains and forests in your deck. But Shauna, which is the green-white uncommon, that's the green-white uh, zero zero that ha- gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control and can't be the target of abilities your opponents control. I think if you can deal with that card, which granted, Icy Manipulator can't, but like a lot of removal spells can, Eviscerate can just go, all right, that's dead. Then your opponent is just left with a bunch of pretty unexciting one ones in Sapperlings, unless they've got like the Pegasus Courser plan to like launch some Bayloth Gorges in the air. But Green White is a deck that I think doesn't do a lot most of the time. I would agree with that assessment. What does white look like in this format, in your opinion? 
Yeah, so moving down the power rankings list, we've got white next in the number four slot. It's got super deep commons, but a lot of them are aggressively slanted, and I, I think both you and I at this point are not looking to be aggressive if we can avoid it. Pegasus Courser is obviously great in the aggro decks, but other than that, white doesn't pair well with a lot of the other colors. So blue-white is a deck we both like a lot. Blue-white Flyers, I think, is the deck I've lost to the most in the format, and we're going to go deep on blue-white in a little bit. White-green, we're not thrilled about. White-red can be fine but it's really not an aura's equipment deck right no it's not like trying to put i I don't think dub is a real card in this format i don't think what what are the other like other auras like arcane flight i know it's not red white but like i don't think this deck this format is conducive to suiting up your creatures with auras and i don't think it's really that conducive to suiting up your creatures with like clunky equipment like there's good equipment in the in the format for sure but like don't just jam short sword in your deck because not all creatures want to just get plus one plus one um i don't think that's what you want to be doing in this format i agree completely moving on to red uh i think red is the consensus worst color in the format not just from your two hosts here while it can pair with blue for one of the strongest decks in the format that's about all it has to offer its commons are very shallow so you need strong uncommons or rares to pull you into this color it can definitely be a strong support color with removal but you need a reason to move into it a late shivan fire can do it but you're really going to want that backed up with higher rarity cards because you're not going to get them at the common level in red well, and one of the things I've been feeling lately, I've played red a fair amount because I have opened like good rares or uncommons, and I felt down a little bit about Sheevan Fire and Wizards Lightning because they're damage based, and I feel like they just don't kill the cards that I'm losing to. Like I'm losing to people's five and six mana rares and uncommons, and they just don't interact with those cards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I hadn't even thought about that. Like, yeah, Sheevan Fire is good, but like tutus aren't good in the format so like shivan fire is worse than it normally would be because one threes are better than tutus i think yes absolutely and then if you're trying to kill something with four toughness you're spending five mana and then you're not getting a mana advantage like it becomes a clunky removal spell then right it's like flexible but not really because you want to be casting it for five anyway yeah so i'm down on those cards a little bit i recognize that they're powerful cards but i do think there's a drawback to them being damage based and the format being slow and lots of people winning games with bombs i think lots of games come down to can you answer my bomb no okay i'm gonna win yeah so before we get into these these archetypes that we want to talk about i wanted to just make a general note or a couple notes about deck building in this format there are a lot of powerful effects at four and five and six mana and not a lot at two and three mana this is one of the reasons that i think elves is even better than maybe we thought it was at the beginning because like no one cares about what you're doing on turn two or three, but like you get your four drop out a turn earlier, you get your five drop out a turn earlier. Now we're talking. Yeah, Llanowar Elves is great on turns one through five. Just outstanding. The Uncommon Knights, the uh, one on a black and one on a white knights, Deathbloom Thalid, the three two for two and a black that when it dies makes a one one sapperling, the modal one threes, the Caligo Skin Witch that you can pay six to make your opponent discard two or get to Chronicler that you can pay six to rebuy us instant or sorcery from your graveyard. These are all, I think, maybe not fairly high picks, but strong cards because they lower your curve, which is an important thing in this format. I'm not looking to play those modal one threes on turn two, but if my opponent decides to play uh, some random Goblin Piker or Sapperling Migration on turn two, I like to know that I have the option of going, here's a one three that brick walls those creatures. Um, And then it's not a dead card when I top deck it later, or it's not a bad card when I'm curving out and, and want something to do on turn six. Because blocking is so good, 1-3s and 2-3s are strong. They're so strong at blocking, so you should be loath to put random 2-2s in your deck. I'm not trying to put 2-2s and 2-1s and 3-1s in my deck because those cards just kind of fold. There's another reason that, like, 3-2s aren't good is because 2-3s are so good. And, like, 3-2s are just going to trade with those random garbage 2-2s anyway. High toughness is king in this format. Removal is king, flying is king, and blocking is king. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I think another thing we're both looking to do in this format is trust in niche-looking build-around cards. So I think initially in our Crash Course, we underrated historic synergies and legendary synergies. I think both the blue and red legendary sorceries are well worth bending over for. So the blue one is Karn's Temporal Sundering, four blue blue for the sorcery that lets you bounce a permanent and take another turn. And the red legendary sorcery is Jaya's Immolating Inferno, the double red X, and deals X damage to up to three targets. Both of those are just bombs and are going to win 
when the game when you cast them. Uh, the white and the green one, I think, are not great. The black one is pretty good, but maybe not quite in the same tier as the blue and the red. Can I talk about why I think the black one isn't so good? Yeah, do it. So I think the reason, one of the reasons that the blue and red ones are good is because the blue uncommon legend, and I think there's only one in Tetsuko. I guess there's also in Bolas's clutches. Um, but Tetsuko is cheap, and red, Jai's Emulating Inferno, red's uncommon creature that's a legend is also cheap. Valduk is a three mana three two. Black has Urgaros, which is the six mana four three flyer, and Whisper Blood Litergist, which is the four mana two two, which like just dies to everything. So I think when you cast Karn, you're gonna cast Karn's Temporal Sundering whenever you can. You're gonna cast Jai's Emulating Inferno whenever you can. Yogmoth's Vile Offering, which kills a creature and zombifies a creature from a graveyard into play under your control. You need stuff to have happened for that card to be good. You need a card dead that you want to reanimate, and you need a card that you want to kill on your opponent's side of the battlefield that's worth killing for this, like, really powerful spell you have. And I think that's a lot. There's a lot of setup there while also asking you to have a legendary creature in play. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm convinced. I'm sold. I did it. And I think the sagas are also almost exclusively more powerful than we thought. And recurring them is also very good. Like if you happen to have like a Merfolk of the Flash Trident or whatever it's called, the 3-3, three, three, 5 mana 3-3 three, three that blinks a creature, just rebuying those or the regrow effect in green, I think, the return target permanent to your hand is super strong if you've got some sagas. That's another way to rebuy them. And some of the jankier looking cards, if you're you know in the right deck, can be super powerful. Haphazard Bombardment is very good can confirm it's way better in a controlling deck i don't think you want haphazard bombardment in your aggro deck so that's five and a red for the enchantment that puts four aim counters on things and then at your end step it blows up one of them at random so yeah i think you're just supposed to take a chance on cards that look powerful and think about how you can support them how you can draft around them i think this format really rewards creativity and going deep yeah i agree speaking of creativity and going deep the mill deck is real I mean, we talked about this a little bit before. We're going to talk about it towards the end of the episode. You can really build a deck with the Mill Crabs, the Mill Giants, and Historic Triggers for Diligent Excavator, which is one and a blue for the 1-3, that when you cast a Historic Spell, you can mill a player for two. Um, I think you can really get there with these cards that no one else at the table should want. Well, and especially, it's especially potent... If everyone is on, like, this deck crushes control decks, right? Because they're Mm -hmm. not pressuring you early, and they're, like, trying to draw cards and dirtle and derp around, and sometimes they're light on win conditions, and if you mill their win conditions, like, they just have no chance. God forbid they're running Windgrace Acolyte, which mills them for three when it comes into play. Like, this is all very real and very possible, and this format is slow enough where I think this deck is, uh, is a real contender. Agreed. I also think artifacts are a fine place to be in draft if you're looking to not bob and weave quite so much, or if you're just not sure what's open and you just need to have cards that to put in your deck once you figure out what's open. Skittering Surveyor is an insanely high pick. We keep saying it every week. I think people are finally catching on. I've not seen many Skittering Surveyors floating around this week. It's yeah. three mana for the one, two that lets you search up a basic land. Blood Tallow Candles also fine. The one mana artifact that you can pay six to give something minus five, minus five. Aether Glider, the three mana two one flyer that can't block. That's very good if you're looking to be an aggressive deck that's got maybe some historic synergies. Partic Wanderer, I'm starting to pick a lot more highly. I I keep thinking I should be able to wheel it, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think Partic Wanderer is maybe supposed to go in like the pick six through eight range. Mm. Uh, it's six mana for the five five Trampler. It's just a good finisher uh, in a deck. I'm starting to just think of it on the same power level as Colossal Dreadmaw because I think it just is. Yeah, I mean like. You want a six drop finisher, and like if you can't find it, this does a fine job of it, and it's colorless. Yep, and then some of the equipment and Voltaic Servant, the two mana one three that untaps artifacts, are all fine and worth picking. Jousting Lance, I think, has a very real place in this format, especially if you're maybe looking to attack on the ground, which I don't know why you would be after listening to this podcast, but <laughs> if you want to do that, Jousting Lance is the way to do it. That's the two mana equipment, three to equip, and gives your creature plus two plus O and first strike when it's attacking. I think that card is so good with Quende, and it makes me mad. That's uh, Quende's the <laughs> three and a white two two with double strike, and all creatures you control with first strike have double strike. That combination is very powerful, and I don't want it to be. Yeah, it feels bad because it feels like both of those cards are not great in the format, but when you assemble them, they're nigh unbeatable. And removing one doesn't necessarily like once they have both on the board, you're like, which do I kill? Do I? I want to get rid of the equipment, but 
I also then have this double striker and maybe they have more synergies. It's really tough. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And just taking like a more of a, a big picture look at the format, we just went through the discord a little bit. Uh, and there's like a, a thing we have in the discord where people post their 3-0 deck list called Trophy Hype. And most of those trophy decks were blue, red, wizards, black, green, sapperlings, black, white, like removal, good cards, legendaries, lots of Ariels floating around in those black, white trophy decks. That's the the rare dude that poops out knights and can shoot down creatures. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and then there were a lot of blue, white flyers decks. And I think blue white flyers is the deck i'm most afraid of in the format currently and there are hardly any red trophy decks that aren't blue red wizards decks uh, and if if red is present in a trophy deck it's usually like a light splash and a jund type deck or things like that but mostly those red trophy decks were blue red so kind of supporting what we were saying at the beginning of the episode yeah all right so i want to talk about one of my favorite decks in the format which is blue black control and i know you haven't had a chance to draft this deck is that right that is correct lay it on me Okay, so this is a control deck, sort of a, a classic control style deck that wants to trade one for one in the early game and get ahead and stay ahead with card advantage. And this comes in the form of some cards at common. Divination is great in this format, two in a blue, sorcery, draw two cards. Soul Salvage, two in a black, sorcery, you can return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, at the uncommon level, you have Weight of Memory, three blue, blue for the sorcery, draw three cards, and target player mills three. Uh, we've got Rona, that's the one blue, black, two, two, uncommon, uh, that lets you exile an historic permanent historic spell from your graveyard when you cast it, and then you can cast cards, blah, 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 wall of text, value engine, uh, and lingering fan. Phantom, I think, is another, like, slow, grindy card. Uh, this is five and a black for the 5-4, and uh, when you cast a historic spell, you can pay a black to return it from your graveyard to your hand. You are trying to grind out the opponent. You are pairing the great removal in black with the card draw and tempo from blue. The trick with this deck, I think, is to keep your curve low. This is going to be something that I say a lot. You have plenty of places to put your mana with the amount of card draw you have access to, the amount of value you have in graveyard recursion. Uh, this deck has access to a lot of powerful 5 and 6 drops and a lot of good removal, so when possible, you want to prioritize lower plays. So what do those lower plays look like? Well, a card that's going to come up a lot in these decks that we talk about is Vodalian Arcanist. This is one in a blue for the 1-3 that taps for a colorless mana, but you can only use that mana to cast instants or sorceries. This card is very good. It's low impact. It's just a, a two mana one three. It blocks early. It trades off early if you need to. It helps you ramp out your removal spells, your card draw spells, your graveyard recursion spells. It's a relevant creature type. So if you want to cast your academy journey mages a turn earlier, you can. Um, it just does quite enough in the format. Uh, Caligo Skinwitch, that's the modal uh, one and a black one three that lets you uh, mind rot your opponent when you kick it for three and a black. Again, just does the same thing. When you need a one three, it's a two mana one three. And when you want to nab your opponent's last two cards and you're able to sculpt that perfect turn when you cast it and you really get them, it feels really good. Deathbloom Thalid, we talked about that. The three mana three two when it dies it makes a sapperling. It's just a nice, good value card to trade off and then have a relevant body. And Tetsuko, which is surprisingly a pretty dang good win con. This is the 1-3 that makes creatures you control with power or toughness one or less unblockable. Turning all of your modal 1-3s or your Vodalian Arcanists into unblockable threats is good. Turning your Sapperlings into unblockable threats is good. It can get in for a number of points of damage itself. It's just a, a really good card. And these are all cards that are lowering your curve and so we're not even talking about the like expensive powerful things at uncommon or rare that this deck has access to uh, i think one of the cards that leads me into this deck aside from the powerful build around cards so you might get past you know some of these clunky looking weird rares that we talked about like the mirari's conjecture or the antiquities war i think these are actually f not to mention fun build around cards but powerful build around cards mishra's self-replicator we put on the uh, I don't think I would have tried it, maybe at least not as early if it hadn't been on our achievement list. That card is not only fun to build around and to play, but it's quite powerful. It feels a little bit like Packrat when it starts to spiral out of control and make a number of tutus. Like, when you have a two in play and you cast Blood Tallow Candle and make two more tutus, unless your opponent's attacking in the air, I don't know how they're winning. These powerful rares that are expensive are ways to get into the deck, but I think Rona uh, is a pretty good way to get into the deck. That's the, the blue-black uncommon. Now, um, if I have an, a, a number of maybe good black cards or good blue cards and I see that card, that l lets me know maybe that's a signal to move into that deck. Um, and you don't need to get fancy with that card. You don't need to be activating its, its four-mana ability. It's often just enough to be able to 
have it come into play, you rebuy a blood towel candle or a skittering surveyor, replay it, and boom, you're just getting that little bit of incremental value. But like I said, so there's the value cards, you're getting a lot of strong cards in two pretty deep colors, and you have access to a lot of fun, powerful build-around rares. And I think that's what makes this deck tick. This deck can have up the problem of like being just a bunch of good cards. It can have that good card problem. So I think you want those powerful top end, those powerful rarity cards to maybe push you into this deck. Um, But once you're there, I think the pieces are there at common to support that. Yeah. So looking to get past some of these uh, narrower build around rares that people might be making around the table to fourth or fifth pick. And then once you see one of those moving it. Yeah, for sure. Another one we want to take a look at uh, is red black. This is not the most intuitive looking archetype if you just look at the cards that are in red and black. And I think it's not necessarily like normally a control deck in most formats. Like mostly it's just kill your dudes, attack you and win. Mm -hmm. But here I really think you're trying to grind the opponent out and loop some stuff and do some real shenanigans with red black. And a lot of the cards that go in this deck are common and uncommon based. So maybe if you're not seeing super powerful cards, you can have this deck in your back pocket. Um, and three of the headlining cards for this deck are Gichu Chronicler, Skin Witch, and Soul Salvage. So those two mana dorks, those two mana one threes that also can get kicked for six to like rebuy your own spells or make your opponent discard cards. And then Soul Salvage is two and a black that can return two creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, which I think I'm starting to think is just great in this format, uh, like similar to how good Wanderin' Death was in Hour of Devastation. Like you just, you just always want Soul Salvage one copy in your black decks, it feels like. I think one of the reasons Soul Salvage is so good is because there's so much incidental self-mill in the format. For the same reason that Wandering Death was good, because cycling existed. Like, you could cycle away a creature to draw a card and then rebuy it later, an hour of devastation. When you can mill a creature off of your 3 and a blue, 3-3 three, three crab, or your Windgrace Acolyte... You know, you have these opportunities to dump cards in your graveyard, not through creature combat. And I think that makes Soul Salvage feel a lot more powerful. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it feels especially busted when you're returning a Gitu Chronicler from your graveyard, and then you can use that Gitu Chronicler to rebuy the Soul Salvage and repeat ad nauseum as long as you've got enough mana and are not dying. Ooh, baby. So they can you can loop those infinitely to net you one creature if you've got a Gitu Chronicler and a Soul Salvage. So that's a combo to be aware of. And I think in red-black, you're playing as many Gitu Chroniclers and as many Soul Salvages as you can get your hands on. I had a red-black deck with three of each, and I was very happy having that number of all of them. Mm. And it also really, uh, this deck maximizes Keldon's Raider, I think. That's the two red-red for a 4-3 that lets you uh, rummage when you cast it. So you can discard those creatures and rebuy them with Soul Salvage and just smooths out your draws, helps keep you from flooding. Although I think this deck is pretty mana-hungry if you're trying to do this looping stuff shenanigans. And then the black-red uncommon also shines here. That's the three black-red for the 3-3 that when you cast it, it returns all creatures to your hand that were put into the graveyard this turn. So one of the strengths of this deck is that it doesn't feel bad playing Get Your Chronicler and Caligo Skin Witch on turn two, because oftentimes you're playing them on turn two and then chumping with them later and then rebuying them, and that's when you can kick them. So I think those cards are especially modal in this red-black deck, and you're fine to play them on turn two because you know you're going to be able to get them back with Soul Savage later in the game. And the the cheaper your removal is in this deck, the better your deck is going to be, I think. Uh, Like, for example, the Lightning Bolt, uh, Wizard's Lightning, really shines here with Gitu Chronicler because when you've got seven mana, you can play that Gitu Chronicler kicked, get back your Wizard's Lightning, and deal something. Like, double spelling is a big deal. Like, the sooner Mm -hmm. that you can double spell in this deck, once you've got your board stable enough and you have enough lands to be able to double spell, that's really when you can start to take over the game. So the cheaper removal really shines here because it lets you double spell with those Gitu Chroniclers. And Dark Bargain's another card that really helps make this deck tick. It puts a card in your graveyard and draws you two cards. Just more ways to grind out the opponent. This deck is all about value, 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 value. Yeah, and I think, like you said at the beginning, this is not a deck I'm like looking to draft, but it's a deck I'm happy that I'm aware exists because it is so fueled by commons. And so sometimes you don't get the powerful rares and you want to build a deck from the popper cards of the format. And I think this is a really good way to do that. Um, The next deck I want to look at is Blue-Green. I think this is sort of like, feels like a classic, maybe even kind of like Cube-esque version of Blue-Green, pairing the Ramp of Green and the Card Draw of Blue. This deck can often be Blue-Green XX because it has access to not only Skittering Surveyor for fixing, but Grow from the Ashes. That's the two and a green Rampant Growth effect that has Kicker for two colorless to find two lands that come into play untapped. So powerful green ramp, we've got Llanowar Elves, we've got Elfheim Druid, and we've got Grow from the Ashes. 
powerful blue card draw. We've got Weight of Memory, Divination, even Blink of an Eye. That's the one in a blue bounce spell that has Kicker for one in a blue draw card. And then you can ramp into some pretty powerful spells or pretty good modal kicker spells. So this is where I think Academy Drake is most at home. That's the two and a blue 2-2 two, two, that you can kick for four to be an air elemental. It gets two plus one plus one counters, so a seven mana 4-4 four, four flyer. Baloth Gorger is great here, either a four mana 4-4 four, four or an eight mana 7-7. Seven, seven. Grun the Lonely King, Thorn Elemental, the seven mana 7-7. Seven, seven. And dare I say, I've played with Slin Voda in this deck and kicked it. That's the eight mana 8-8 eight, eight, that you can pay one and a blue to kick it and bounce everything that isn't a sea-related creature. And that card is pretty powerful. So some things to keep in mind, this deck is both explosive because of its ramp, but also quite mana-hungry. Even though you have a number of mana sources, I would not recommend going lower than 17 lands here. Both the green and blue memorial lands are excellent at mitigating flood, as well as the number of kicker and modal spells you have, and maybe even the number of expensive spells you have. Again, shockingly, I'm going to say Vodalian Arcanist is strong in this deck. It's like a weaker but still very relevant mana dork. It helps ramp you into your card draw spells, as well as lets you kick Grow from the Ashes or cast grow from the ashes so don't don't sleep on vodalian arcanist and think oh, i've got enough mana dorks in my blue green deck yeah vodalian arcanist kicking grow from the ashes is one i've played blue green once and being able to kick grow from the ashes on turn four off of vodalian arcanist was very strong can confirm blue white's another deck we want to take a look at that we think is very good this is currently the deck i'm most afraid of on the other side of the battlefield if my opponent plays island planes i am just terrified you sound like someone who had like a bad dream I no, I have PTSD. Like the, the, I cannot you've tell said, you. The... You've said it's the deck you're most afraid of like four times this episode. Have I? It's so good. I just <laughs> you can't beat this deck when it comes together. And I think you know when I said I was looking to avoid blue white, that's no longer the case. I want to be blue white, but I think I understand how the deck operates now. You're looking to avoid it on the other side of the battlefield. Yes, and I am <laughs> looking to be it when I get these cards. So Rap Capuchin Ships Mage is insane. The two blue white for the three three flash flyer that you can lets you cast other historic cards as though they had flash uh sarah angel super overpowered that's three and a white for the four four flyer with vigilance gideon's reproach really shines in this deck uh, that's one and a white for the instant speed deal four damage target attacking or blocking creature cloud reader sphinx four and a blue for the three four flyer that lets you scry two when it etbs pegasus courser two and a white for the one three flyer uh, that can jump another creature into the air. Those are all some of the headliner cards that really push you into this deck. And I do think this is one of the the decks in the format that operates strictly on the common and uncommon levels. So maybe if you're not seeing some of those busted rares, obviously there are ones that go in the deck, but this deck can win pretty handily, I think, with just a mixture of commons and uncommons. Flying is what you're trying to do here. Not so much like the Relic Runner, Diavenant Trapper shenanigans. So Relic Runner is the one in a blue 2-1, uh, that gets unblockable if you cast a historic spell, and Diavenant Trapper uh, is the 3-2 that lets you tap something down if you cast a historic spell. I don't think those are the place to be. You just literally want flyers and ways to tempo your opponent out. Blink of an Eye is also insanely good here, the one in a blue bounce target permanent. The Academy Journey Mage, the four in a blue 3-2 that bounces something, tempos your opponent out, provides a blocker while you're racing in the air. If you can, it's This deck is all about getting ahead, staying ahead with flyers. And it's very difficult to answer if you don't have certain cards on the other side of the battlefield. And once they land Raph, you just can't, you have no idea. They could have so many things and it's so, they operate at instant speed and then they could have Gideon's Reproach. You just feel, I feel, can you tell that I've lost to this deck a lot? You're like trembling. <laughs> I know. I can't, you just can't, you can't, you can't do anything because they can have so many things at instant speed. It's impossible to make attacks and then you just, it's, it's so tough. Blue White, I'm, I think I'm on this as being maybe the best or second best deck in the format to Sapperlings right now. Mm. I like it quite a bit. And I say that like I've played it. I haven't played it much, but I have lost to it a lot. Yeah, I've had the chance to trouble with this deck. It also leverages all of the tempo spells very, very well, probably more than, than a lot of decks do. Like Time of Ice, uh, Icy Manipulator, Blink of an Eye, like all of that stuff feels so bad when you're like, I play my 3-5 Spider, and they just go bounce, swing for six in the air, like... You have like so few windows of opportunity to be able to stabilize against this deck, and they have so many tools to stop you from doing that. Well, and I think one of the other things this deck does really well is double spell, like way more than yes. any other deck in the format. So I frequently find myself losing to this deck with like very good cards in hand that if I could just live one or two more turns, I would be fine. But this deck double spells with Blink of an Eye and Gideon's Reproach so well. 
because it presents a clock in the air and then can interact with the cards that you have that might be clocking them back with Gideon's Reproach and in the blink of an eye and even syncopate sometimes like holding that up for two mana to counter your five drop. It double spells way better than any other deck in the format. Yeah. So those are just a few of the tools that we've found to be helpful in this format when like the best decks maybe don't come together. I think these decks are very, very strong and things that we've had success with or had success losing against maybe. You want to talk about our look at the re-rankings of the commons and where we're at with those? I think we're pretty much in agreement now. Yeah, let's dive right in with white. For white, in the number three slot, we've got Pegasus Courser, backbone of a lot of those white proactive decks. In the number two slot, we've got Blessed Light. Being able to exile a creature or enchantment at instant speed is super relevant. And at the number one slot, we've got Gideon's Reproach. Like I said, just being able to double spell with that card is huge for white decks. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, and I still feel this way. Like Gideon's Reproach, to a lesser extent than Syncopate, sort of causes this like little mini game of like, oh, they're holding up two mana and one is white. Is it Reproach? Is it Seal Away? How do I play around this? And so like, it's not like it's perfect clean removal, but it's just cheap enough and just annoying enough and just like, do I play around it? Maybe not enough that uh, that I think it's still the best white common. In blue, we've got a little split here in three. I think you're on Academy Journey Mage, the bounce creature, and I'm on Arcanist, the ramping creature uh, at number three. Um, but we're lined up for number two is Blink of an Eye. And number one, I don't know how this became a common, Cloud Reader Sphinx. Three, four flyer for five that scries two is just too strong. Card is great. In black, we've got a split here on number three again. I'm on Death Bloom Thala, the 3-2 that makes a sapling when it dies, and you're on Fungal Infection. I'm close to coming around on Fungal Infection. That's the single black uh, minus one, minus one to a creature and make a sapling. That card is very, very good. Vicious Offering at number two and Eviscerate at number one. So not a lot of changes there for us. I was playing earlier this week and Dustin Stern was in my chat and I was talking about how much I love Fungal Infection and he was, of course, disagreeing and making fun of me. But one of the things he said, which I think might be true, is he said, I think Fungal Infection might be better in intermediate queues than competitive queues. And that made, like, I usually scoff at those kinds of comments, but that did make a lot of sense to me. Like, I think people are probably playing around, like, I think Ben Stark during Rivals of Ixalan, or Ixalan was like, Skullduggery is a good card unless your opponent is playing around it. And I think that's sort of true about Fungal Infection. Like, it's, I feel like I can get people a lot with it, and maybe as the format progresses, I won't be able to do that as much. So Deathbloom Thalad may be a safe pick for number three. Interesting. For red, it's pretty shallow. In number three, we've got Kelden Raider. Number two, we've got Gitu Chronicler. And number one, Shivenfire. And in green, we've got another split here. I think I'm on Mammoth Spider as the number three green common. Ethan is on Yavamaya Sapper, the two in a green for the two-two that makes a one-one Sapperling. Uh, number two, we've got Baloth Gorger, and number one, a resounding Atlanta War Elves. I'm on the same page. Still more points to you this week. So many points. Oh, baby. I just have found Mammoth Spider. I have had lots of trouble punching through that card when I've been playing decks like Wizards, and I've been very happy with it blocking. Like, if you're looking to block, this sort of feels like the grazing whiptail of the format, where it just stonewalls so many decks. Yeah, my counter-argument to that is the decks where I'm trying to play green, which is green-blue and green-black, like blue has access to Cloud Reader Sphinx in 5, and black has access to Wind Grace Acolyte at 5, and so I just think those those cards don't do exactly the same thing that Mammoth Spider does, but they do similar things, and Sapper doesn't do similar things to other cards. Though I guess you made the argument about, like, if you're trying to block, doesn't Cross and Druid the 2-3 two, for 2 and a green do about as much? And you're probably right. Two threes are just so good. Two threes are great. And then we've got some top commons overall rankings. I just made this list in the dark, and I was expecting Ethan to disagree heavily, and he did not, which felt great. Yeah. So number five, we've got Skittering Surveyor. Three mana for that one, two, the search up a basic land. So, so, so good. Number four, Cloud Reader Sphinx. Number three, Lana War Elves. Number two, A Vicious Offering. And number one, Eviscerate. Yeah, this was a really strong episode. I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, lots of information, lots of decks to explore, and I think if you take nothing else away from this episode, it should be that you should be trying to draft decks, and you should not be afraid to go deep on things that look like, you know, rare, powerful rare build-arounds, probably worth building around, unless they have anything to do with equipment. Avoid those like the plague. 
Yeah, for sure. So hopefully next week we'll have more Dominaria draft insights for you as we figure out this format. We'll go a little deeper. Maybe we'll have some insights into the archetypes we haven't discussed this week. If you have rares that you've built around or archetypes that you've been having success with that we didn't talk about, I'd love to hear about what they are or what the rares are and how to build around them as we uh, as we try and dive into figuring out this format more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to get in touch with me and Ben, you can find us on Twitch. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Both of us are on Twitter under those same handles, and you also can get in touch with us at the podcast at Lords of Limited on Twitter. We also have our Dominaria treasure hunt underway. Achievements have started rolling in. If you cross off some of those achievements yourselves, shoot us a tweet at Lords of Limited and hashtag it with D-O-M treasure hunt. And if you're not on Twitter, feel free to email us screenshots at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Or if you've got any feedback about the show or questions, shoot us an email at that same address. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 